Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. My name is Wanda O'Connor, and I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 21 from the New Revised Standard Version. David came to Nob to the priest Ahimelech. Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David said to the priest Ahimelech, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, No one must know anything about the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what have you at hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever, or whatever is there. The priest answered David, I have no ordinary bread at hand, only holy bread, provided that the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest, Indeed, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is a common journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread. There was no bread there except the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now a certain man of the a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Idiomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Thank Wanda. Thank you. <laughs> NBC at church. Thanks for doing that, Wanda. I want to talk a minute about where do you go? Where do you go when your mind won't stop racing? Where do you go when you find yourself depleted in life? And where do you go when you are hungry for direction and where you go in life. David, one of the people who willingly enters relationship with God, goes towards the town of Nob when he is depleted, when he is running, when he is hungry for direction in life. And Nob is not a hometown. Nob is not a place that you go that is entertaining. Nob would be a religious place. It would be a holy place, a sanctuary of sorts. In our day, we would call the town of Nob the place where you go to church. And David, in this story, can no longer go home because he doesn't have a home. David has been kicked out of the household of the king of his day. And everyone who loves David wants to support David. But the one person who doesn't support David is the king now. Saul is threatened by David, hates David, and seeks to kill David. And when David's on the run in a complicated situation, 
he runs towards a holy place. Now, it's very interesting, David's instincts now. He is going to go to a religious place. That's where he runs towards. And in our day, what's interesting is that the social trend is actually opposite. That when people are depleted, when people are looking for direction in life, when people are searching, they don't run towards religion, but they actually run away from religion. And stats have kind of backed this up for a while, whether we're able to recognize them or not. When you think about the silent generation, when they talked about religion, 84% of those in the silent generation said, I am associated with some type of religion. Those who were baby boomers, these were the people that were born between 1946 and 1964. 76% of them said that I claim some type of faith in the world. But when you get to millennials, people that were born in the 80s and beyond, the stats say only 47% of people actually claim some sort of faith. In Generation Z, anyone who is born past the year 2000, the stats are still collecting, but is probably going to clock in at 40% of people owning some type of faith. When people run into complications, they do not run towards religion. They run away from religion. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a conversation with someone that didn't know that I was a minister. And they asked me the uh, simple question like, hey, do you go to church? And deeply in my mind, I wanted to be like, you don't even know. Okay. <laughs> you, don't, you don't even know. And then I asked the return question. I said, do you go to church? This man's about 34, and he looks at me, and he goes, I used to. But now, I don't feel like I can associate myself with a place that is toxic, and that can be hypocritical. Many people stay away from religion because they believe it is unnecessary, and it's counterproductive. And religion in itself has had a complicated past with it. One of the reasons that faith right now, especially the church, is under such a microscope is that there's conflicts, there's leadership scandals, there's hypocrisy, there's abuses of authority, there's cover-up, there's apathy towards injustice, there's ignorance of poverty, there's political agendas all in it. And church gets very complicated. And if you find yourself in church long enough, you will bump into the complexities of church. And as we come to the story today of a couple of people coming to a religious place, I'm mindful of the room. I'm mindful that people have different complexities when it comes to coming to church. There are some of you who have been at church longer than my bodily existence, okay? And you are trying to scratch your head wondering, why are generations coming behind me? my kids and my grandkids questioning the thing that I've never questioned in my life. And that's the complexity we wrestle with. Some people I recognize in the room are wrestling with the complexity of just church from week to week. In the midst of how much you have going on in life between travel and commuting and family and events on the weekend, 
You know church is important, but you're having a hard time making a space for it. And then I'm particularly mindful, especially today as we come to the Word of God. For those of you who church is truly complicated, that you have some skepticism towards church. You wonder if this matters. And at very least, does it matter that you are here in this place? All of us come to church with complexities and complications. Because when you bring complex people into church, church will get complicated. But one of the great things of God that we come back to over and over in this series is that God does not avoid things that are complicated, but God enters into things that are complicated. And it's where God does God's best work. And that's some really good news for some complicated people. For one standing up here, for all of you standing out there. You're actually sitting out there, but it felt right. There's a story that's told today. And each person that comes to that story is really complicated. And I want to walk you through this story. The more that I spent with this story this week, this may be my favorite story. Okay, and that's a bold statement to make. But it's one of my favorite stories. The first complexity is David himself. David comes to the priest when he goes to Nob. And David lies. Okay. David is telling a story. And it's a great story because it's not a true story story. He's trying to pull a fast one. David is not running a mission. His mission is to run away. David is the one who is letting people know on a need to know basis because no one needs to know that he is the one that is running. David is lying and he is lying poorly to this priest. And I can say as a recovering liar, he is lying very poorly. Okay, let me try to paint this for you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I told this story uh, at my grandfather's funeral. Uh, one of the things my parents would do is they'd ship me off for the summer to uh, spend time at my grandparents' farm. They said it was good for me. I think they just wanted a break. Uh, but, uh, but they would ship me off to this farm for the summer, and I would work with my grandfather. And I remember the best year with my grandfather was the day that he let me start operating all of the heavy machinery. That's right. I'm talking like tractors. Okay, I'm talking like pickup trucks, like it's a farm, right? So you just take it out there. I have not caused a single accident in my life, mainly because I believe I worked it all out of my system with my grandfather, okay? If there was something to be damaged, I would find a way to damage it while driving a vehicle. Scraped walls, I would damage it. Broken taillights, I would damage it. Dented bumpers. And every time my grandfather would come around and ask, do you know why this thing is broken or damaged? And I'd be like, not a clue. Not a clue. But the worst was this. The worst one night, I was driving without any headlights on. It's, that's, that's another time for another service. Uh, but I was driving in the dark. And I ran over my grandmother's favorite windmill that was in the front yard. And I remember looking at the windmill and just thinking to myself, mm, I could either tell them right now or I could go get some really good sleep and just wait till judgment day. Okay. <laughs> so I go with the ladder. So I try to put it back up 
And I go to bed and I'm just thinking tomorrow's it, okay? I'm gonna lose my driving privileges across the board. And when I wake up, when I come downstairs for judgment day, the grace of the Lord had kissed me because there was a storm that night. And there was a tornado that had touched down just two miles away from the city. I'm not making this up. And it damaged all sorts of things. And when I sat at the kitchen table and thinking, I got this, okay. My grandfather looks me in the eye and he goes, do you know what happened to that windmill? And I looked him straight in the eyes and I said, that must have been some tornado. He never said a word. He never said anything about it again. A couple hours I'm working out in the front yard and I slowly start to hear the tractor I was on the night before. He pulls the tractor all the way up to me, just inches from me, cuts it off, and I'm face to face with the dented front of the windmill that is in the shape of that windmill. My grandfather looks me in the eyes and he just goes, man, that must have been some type of tornado. I never, ever again lied to my grandfather. That day, he knew it, and I knew it, and he was recognizing the reality. This is David and the priest Ahimelech. It doesn't make sense. David is one of the highest ranking people, and he has no people around him. He has no influence around him. He has no food around him. Ahimelech is barely buying this lie. But the priest himself has a complication as well. Because while David is lying, the priest is inconsistent. When you actually look and you look at uh, Ahimelech, you look at his relationship with the situation is uber complicated as well. The priest would be responsible for the religious place. He was the protector of it and he was the guide of it. And when David asked him if he has any bread, this is what ended up happening. So the priest, Ahimelech, gave him the consecrated bread since there was no other bread except for the bread of the presence of the Lord that had been removed before the Lord and replaced by the hot bread on the day that it was taken away. So back in the day, the priest, as an offering to God, would actually lay out these 12 loaves of bread. And no one was to touch this bread except for the priest. After one week, they would be able to eat the bread. And anyone who could eat the bread had to pass this major test to be qualified to eat God's bread. You don't just go eating God's bread, okay? You have to pass a certain test. And that's what Ahimelech is asking about, to be like, what about your men? Are you clean? Because back in the day, if you released any type of bodily liquid, you were unclean. And even though David answers one part of the test correctly, he doesn't have a good answer for the other. And Ahimelech lets it slide. He bends the rules. God's representative is inconsistent. And he helps someone who is lying in the house of the Lord. David lies. The priest of God is inconsistent. But then the third person that enters the story makes the first two look like a cakewalk, okay? The third one is Doeg. 
All right. And scripture doesn't give you very much about who Doeg is, but in a few words, you actually get to know a lot about who Doeg is, and you actually know more than you do. So in verse 7, it said, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, and the chief of Saul's shepherds. You get a couple hints just in this one verse. Let me walk you through it. First of all, he is detained before the Lord. Okay. I know some of you feel trapped in church, okay? You're like, oh man, this is boring, okay? Most places in the Bible, if they are in a religious place, are not described as being detained, okay? This is not Doeg's initiative to be at this religious place. He is most likely here because the culture of the day is requiring him to be here. Now, the second thing, he's an Edomite, all right? This is like in a Western movie, Like you'd say, you're not around here, are you? Like that is what Edomite is saying. He is not particularly trained in the ways of the Lord. And then if it doesn't top it there, he says he's the chief of Saul's shepherds. Now, what we know by close reading of scripture is that this sounds like a very noble task, but actually like a chief of Saul's shepherds was actually a military position. The best way I could try to find to describe it to you this week, this is the Bible's way of being like, hey, Doeg, he's basically every movie you've seen Liam Neeson in, okay? That's this type of guy. Like I saw a joke at one point when the movie Taken was coming out with Liam Neeson, they were like, come on, okay? If this man can train Batman and he can fight next to Obi-Wan and he can be the voice of Aslan, and he can take on two wolves in the gray, why in the world would you take this man's family? You know? This is the type of man, this is like the Bible's way of trying to say to you, Doeg has a strong set of skills. And that Doeg will do the work that no one else wants to do. And Doeg stays in the shadows of this story until there's the opportune time for Doeg to strike. We actually find in the next chapter of the Bible that Doeg, when he's back with Saul, and Saul is upset that he cannot find David, he goes to Saul and he says, I know where David has been. And as a matter of fact, I know the priest that helped David in verse 18 of chapter 22. The king then ordered Doeg, then you turn and strike down the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. In essence, anyone that was associated with the priest was killed that day because Doeg came to a religious place, witnessed something, twisted the moment, and then used it for his own political gain. And if that is disturbing to you in the Bible, it's because it should be. And one of the things about disturbing things in the Bible that you have to respect is even though it's disturbing, the Bible is honest about humans. That the Bible does not present to you this catalog of heroes, but actually gives you three humans, 
All that come to a religious place wrestling with their own agendas and complexities and decisions that they make. And the sobering thing that we need to recognize is that when people come to a religious place, people like David or Ahimelech or Doeg, the reality is, is people can walk away from religion and do terrible things in the name of religion. A religious place is where you will find people who have mixed motives, people who have inconsistencies in life, people who want to seek something for their own political gain, people who will hurt other people in the name of the Lord or in truth. The complexity of mixing God and humans together is that sometimes humans want to use God instead of submit to God. But what's unique about history, about church, about religion, about the people of God gathering together, is people keep showing up. Like, even though there are moments in history that we look back and we go, wow, that is brutal, or wow, that is disturbing, people keep coming together mainly because the holy is found in and amongst the most unholy of people and humans come back to religious places over and over again because they can walk away whole in a way that they've never done there's a psychologist by the name of jonathan hated who is an atheist who said as far as the history of religion goes especially christianity I can look back at so many things at history that everyone should feel like they should walk away from. But he goes, the thing I can't shake, even as someone who doesn't believe this thing, is that religious believers in the U.S., when they leave church, the stats say that they're happier, they're healthier, most of them live longer, they give more money than secular folks do to secular charities and to their neighbors, and they give more time and they even give more blood than other people who don't go to church. Here's the thing. The temptation of anything religious is to think that the humans that gather to worship God are God themselves. And that's the most dangerous thing that we can do. The church is always going to be this mixed, complicated bag of people. As the saying goes, the church is full of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. That is the people who gather. But the beautiful thing about people who gather in religious spaces is the God that can always be found and encountered when you come. One of the most interesting things that people document about the story of David that's seen here is if you do not count the Goliath story, there are no extravagant miracles in David's life. There's nothing extremely flashy. There's no moments where God just intersects and completely changes anything within it. And one of the reasons for that is because the story of David shows us that in the life of humanity, in your life, God works in hidden and quiet and really subtle ways. That the work of God is silent and hidden and not always flashes. But it is something that we come to 
and we depend on. The one place that God is mentioned in this story is in verse 6. There was no bread there except for the bread of the presence of the Lord. God is in the background of the story. When three different very complex people come together and they use religion for their own motives, the presence of God is still there. What I guess I'm trying to say is, is that three different people come and do something that doesn't seem right. And God's presence is right there in front of them. This is the wonderful work of God. We do not come to a religious place to find ourselves superior. To earn the love of God. To check off a box in our life. We come to church because every week we get to receive the bread and presence of God in our lives. That the bread is present among those of us who are lying right now. That the presence and bread of God is available to us who are inconsistent. And the bread of God, and this is most outrageous, the bread of God is available to those of us who use religion and we twist it for our own political needs or gains. And it's bread in our lives. I had a mom say to me a couple weeks ago, she goes, my kid loves coming to church. It's just when you get up to preach, she doesn't love church anymore. Every time you get up to preach, she leans over and she goes, mama, I'm bored. Aren't we all? Like, right? <laughs> and I love that, that she's just like, sometimes church is like really boring. Sometimes I really love going to it. Sometimes I don't. That is what bread is. You're not getting a round rock donut when you come here. You're not getting the top level of bread. What you come to each week is to receive the sustaining presence of God. And it is like weekly, daily bread. We come to church week in and week out to receive the truth that God exists. That God is present. And when you leave here, God will sustain you. No matter how complicated your life is. Maybe the most helpful reframe is to think of it this way. Spirituality is helping make visible the invisible, which means religion at its best is the practices and the rhythms and the rituals of helping you see the invisible God and this God being visible in your life. So the question I rest with is do you see value in the rhythm in the ritual of coming to church where you receive the bread of God. It's not about how great or how lacking the preaching or the worship is. It's to receive the bread of God. It's not about the mixed motives or complicated people that sit on your left or sit on your right. It's to receive the bread of God. It's not to get distracted by saying that there's all these problematic things in church that do need to be called out. It's to receive the bread of God. And this is the place to start. If you don't know where to start in your relationship with God. You start here. You know we come here to encounter God. And it's the presence of God, the reminder of God, that God is working out God's plan and salvation amongst us week to week. 
there's this turkey tradition that's called, and I'm going to butcher the framing of it, but it's called Askide Ekmek. And basically, it's a turkey tradition that when you go to a store, you can buy not just bread, but you can buy an extra loaf of bread for someone who's in need. And if you say this phrase when you're checking out, they'll add another bread and they will put this bread on the wall and they'll hang it on a hook. And anyone who's in need can come to that store and ask the store owner, is there any bread? And here's what I want to leave you with. We come to church because there is bread on the hook. We come to church because we remember what David longed for is what Jesus Christ fulfilled. That the one who called himself the bread of life hung on two nails to forgive you, for you to receive righteousness, for you to receive his power, and for you to be sustained in life. He's the bread of life when your mind is racing. He's the bread of life when you're depleted of the things of life. And he is the bread of life when you need direction in life as well. Church, may you come here and may you come here over and over again to receive the bread of God, the presence of God, and be sustained by God. And if you have never received this bread before, if you do not take the bread of God with us each week at the table, I'll be over in the corner to be able to receive you, to talk about what does that look like to receive Jesus and receive that bread of life. But I pray that each of us leans into it because the son of David has revealed to us that there is bread here. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for how you have provided for us in ways that, God, we didn't even know to ask. God, I pray for those of us, no matter where we find ourselves when it comes to church, that you are working and molding our hearts to be able to see how you have chosen a group of people to work through. God, we thank you for the ways that you're sustaining us, that we don't even recognize it. May we lean into the fact that you say that you are the bread of life. We need you, and we depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen.